Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey Blackburn, your host. I'm your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Welcome, everybody. Yes, last episode, we introduced this concept of a survey that we are right now asking for your feedback with. We would love for you to fill out this survey. We want to hear from you. You are our Nothing Is Wasted family, and we would love to make this podcast something that you want to listen to, that whether it's your commute to work or whether it's while you're out walking, you're putting the headphones in, this is hope for your uh, hope in your headphones, and we want to make it the best that we possibly can for you. So if you would do us a favor and text NIW survey, NIW survey, all one word, to the number 66866, we will send you a link to fill out the survey. And as a thank you, we're going to do a random giveaway where we're giving away 10 $10 Amazon gift cards to Love it. folks who have filled out the survey. It's going to be great. Now, if you want to, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash podcast survey. If you can remember all of that, <laughs> if you can make it really, really convenient, pause your phone right now, text NIW survey to 66866 and fill out the survey for us. We'd love to hear from you. This episode is a great one. It is actually kicking off our series for the next four weeks yep. on surviving abuse. We have a group of incredible women that are sharing their stories with us. And I'm really looking forward to this one with Becca Stevens today, yeah. who runs Thistle Farms. Uh, oh, we'll yeah. hear her story in just a little bit, but it's a refuge, right, for women yep. who have been trafficked or abused. And it's a great one to kick off this series with. It's, it's incredible. It's kind of the quintessential, you know, going from your pain and and moving it into purpose. Yeah. And it's purpose on a large scale. While that, that's not everybody's calling or destiny to do it on a large scale, we want everybody to move into some sort of repurposing of your pain. And just like with most of our series, we are going to do a what we're calling a coaching spot on the end of this. So after the interview... Uh, at the end, stick around. You're going to hear from our friend Jill Monaco. We've had her on the podcast. Yeah, we've had she's her in great. A bonus episode. She's fantastic. And similar to how we've done counseling spots, where we just hear from kind of a more uh, a more professional, experienced opinion on this topic and these matters. We're going to hear from Jill Monaco. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss this. Interestingly, this series is all women. Yeah, and I think that's really telling. Um, Hmm. interestingly, statistics say that four in five victims of abuse are women. Hmm. So one in five are men, four in five are women. That tells you something right there, doesn't it? That, um, women for what, I mean, for many reasons, but are just more prone to being victims of abuse than men are. And of course men are, we don't want to deny that that's true, but this is over abundantly something that women, uh, suffer from. Yeah. Well, you know, and Aubrey, I know that um, you've shared really vulnerably about some some sexual abuse that you've encountered, mm-hmm. that you've gone through your, yourself. And, um, you know, I know that it's related to this. It's not necessarily the same thing because a yeah. lot of the a lot of the stories that we're going to hear about are going to be more of the physical and emotional abuse that has taken place, whether it's in, in marriage or in a relationship or something like that, yeah. or even in a, yeah, like a, a familial relationship you know, mm-hmm. between a parent child, that sort of thing. But I know that you've had to wrestle with the concept of uh, walking in forgiveness. Yes. Finding freedom 
in this. And that's a difficult concept. I was talking with uh, our community group guide who, who leads uh, the community group for women who've survived sexual assault. And she said that the primary thing that all of these women in this group struggle with is how to forgive their perpetrator. Right. For me, certainly, it was not um, one of the first steps in the healing journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a very long time to get to a place where forgiveness was even something that I would like think about as an option. Yeah. And I mean, I think some helpful things to think about. Uh, one, forgiveness is not always forgiveness is not permission. I think that's number mm, one. Because sometimes I think we can we can say, oh, forgiveness means it's okay that that happened to me, but that's not what forgiveness is at all. Forgiveness is releasing that person from the debt that they owe you. And the miraculous thing about forgiveness in an instance of abuse is that you're really releasing yourself from Mm -hmm. that bond to them. You're like cutting it off by making a choice to release them. That's the other thing about forgiveness, especially when it comes to an abuser. It is a choice. It's not a feeling. Mm. And so the feeling may or may not come, but it is a choice to say before the Lord, okay, I'm releasing this person. I am not going to expect them to make it right. I'm not going to hold them uh, to whatever standard anymore. I'm releasing them, Lord, and forgiving them. And then, um, Forgiveness is ongoing. I think that's Mm. another thing is sometimes we think we have that moment of forgiveness where we're on our knees praying, but it's really just, okay, it's come up again. I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm, my mind is going there. Okay, Lord, help me to forgive again. And God is so kind that in time, these, you do begin to actually release your abuser and begin to let go. And I do think something that Becca talks about in this episode is, a step is humanizing your abuser, which is also really, really, really yeah. difficult to do. But a lot of times these abusive men in most instances, not always, but um, they've been abused or they they've watched abuse their fathers well. abuse yep. their mothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of go, okay, when they were a little kid, this happened, yeah. that was evil too. Now it's not okay yeah. what they did, but if you can right. begin to have compassion, Desmond Tutu calls compassion seeing with a God's eye view Wow. You can see your abuser with a God's eye view. That helps. But again, that takes time. That's so good. That's I feel like that in my own journey of forgiveness and trying to learn how to just step, in for, step into forgiveness and releasing bitterness from the perpetrators who killed Amanda. Right, right, Davey. A, a major component of that was learning their stories. When I, when I learned their stories and I wasn't seeking after it, to be honest with you. I mean, and you know, it was just uh, several different conversations led me to this person that knew a lot of their backstory. And when he shared it with me, it was like kind of a glass shattering thing where it humanized them and it, yeah. and it all of a sudden compassion rushed in and that mm-hmm. doesn't excuse what they did, but it right. helped. It was one of the kind of anchor points in the journey of forgiveness. And when I was talking to Christy about, you know, many of you guys have listened to her episode that we did episode 100, where she shared about her, her dad who was abusive. That mm. was one of the striking things to me was that he, she had incredible, when I met her, she had incredible compassion and empathy for her dad. Wow. She had walked in forgiveness in this, uh, even though she, he never asked for forgiveness, still has not to this day. Wow. And the thing that she said to me after telling me, yeah, I've, I've, I've forgiven my dad is he was abused and Mm. she referenced immediately his story 
And some, somehow that brought compassion into her heart that cracked the yeah. door open for her to be able to walk into forgiveness. Wow, that's really powerful. I think sometimes too, just to stop and think of what we've been forgiven of, what Jesus has taken on the cross for us, that that can sometimes help too to go, okay, I have been forgiven of things that I don't deserve, things in my past and things I have yet to do, right? Yeah. And so perhaps the Holy Spirit could give me that mm. kind of perspective when I'm walking in forgiveness. But it is mm. hard. I, I love that um, Christy has that story. That's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want this conversation about forgiveness to close the door in your heart to hear kind of the steps that right. lead up to this. Because just like what you said, Aubrey, this is not the first step. It's not Absolutely the first step not. to recovering from abuse, but it is something that Becca references in this conversation. So we thought it was really appropriate that we talk about this a little bit. And um, throughout this entire series, you're going to hear a lot of really great insight from these women who have walked through abuse. So if you have experienced it, you are experiencing it, you're going to want to make sure you listen to all the episodes in this series. And let's start with uh, the first conversation that we have with Becca Stevens. Becca, it's so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. Oh my gosh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. Well, so many people are going to know of your work with Thistle Farms. And um, I'm super curious as to the inspiration behind all of the work that you've done. We definitely want to dive into some of the work that you've done, but you you have a story that moved you along a journey that started intersecting with other people who have a story. Can you just start out and tell us a little bit about the story behind the work that you're doing? Sure. I mean, how far back do you want me to go? You go as far back as the pain starts, I think. I mean, I know so many of our listeners are walking through stuff right now and they're, they've been inspired by you. And so give them a little bit of the, the um, behind the scenes of your life. You know, I would say that my first memory is grief. So that's how far back it goes that, When I was five, my dad, who was a minister, was killed by a drunk driver. And my mom was 35 years old with five kids. And um, that was kind of the beginning of my waking up into consciousness, if that makes any sense. And, um, you know, what happens a lot of times, and it definitely happened in my life, is that when there's kind of one trauma, then the other traumas start to build on that. It's almost like you get a vulnerability sticker put on your forehead that you can't even see. But for me, it was one of the elders in the church began to sexually abuse me about six months later. And it went on for several years. And so I had this amazing, loving mother. I had four siblings that I adored. We were poor. We were stressed out. I think sometimes I I referred to us as feral children, just kind of out there. Sometimes a mom was working about 12 hours a day. And then I was also kind of waking up into the world, not trusting it and knowing some really scary and violent things. So I think the whole time I grew up, I had these two things in my head of like what I longed for the world to be like and what it was. And I had a taste of both of them. I had, again, this loving mother who taught me that God is love and that community can be healing. She was the director of a community center. But I also had this really messed up, um, acting out crazy part of me from years of sexual trauma. Mm. 
And, um, you know, I think those combined in me, sometimes I think, I, I mean, I really am the daughter of my mother and my father. I became a minister and I wanted to be that. And I wanted to create a place that was safe and practical and loving like my mom's community center. And so it was never like, um, it was never that I thought it was God's fault or I was angry at God, which is probably the biggest gift of my life. I always knew that there was really messed up systems. And I always knew what happened to me was um, abhorrent to a loving God. And so as I grew up and as I made my way in this world, I kind of created both a place that was a sanctuary for women who had gone through stuff and also um, a really practical, creative place where people could thrive in their dreams. Wow. You know, I know you've done so much work with um, women specifically and kind of untangling the trauma that they walk through. And so I know there's all kinds of kind of common denominators or, tr you know, transferable principles into each person's life. But I'm, I'm curious as to you begin, uh, as to when you begin to untangle some of the trauma in your own life, what are some of those threads that you saw? What are some of the things that you saw were necessary for you to have to uh, pull the string on, so to speak, to be able to not just live with the trauma or live with the effects of the trauma that you experienced, but actually overcome it and, and to be able to walk in wholeness? That's a big question. I know there's a lot right there. I'm expecting you to just kind of take the rest of the 45 minutes that we have and just preach. You said you could. Well, my sermon is probably one sentence, which is forgiveness is a journey, not an event. Oof. And for me, that was true. What forgiveness looks like on all kinds of levels, forgiving myself, forgiving others, um, you know, learning what it means to just accept it and offer it with, um, nothing but love on your heart. That is a long journey. And, um, you know, I would say that what, what happened for me, that the kind of the string that you're talking about was when I began to do ministerial work, you know, going to the streets and helping feed women or going to visit people in jail. I kept thinking we could do so much better by these women. And at that point, you got to know that I didn't realize that I was sharing a common story with the women I was meeting that on average, the women that I would serve for the next quarter of a century were women who on average were first sexually assaulted by the age of nine years old and who hit the streets at 15. And so in some ways it was easier for me to have a lot of compassion for the women I was meeting. There was no, not a lot of judgment. I was, I was recognizing my sisters. And so what I was thinking was, wouldn't it be nice just to open a small house and offer it like a sanctuary and make it as nice as you would do it for your own kids. And so if people are coming off the streets or out of prison, they would have a really beautiful place to go that was safe. And just how I would want it done for me. That's as simple as I can say it. And so that was where the idea came from to start Thistle Farms is to open a house, invite five women in who all had histories of trafficking, addiction, prostitution, and just listen to their story. I was not interested in being anybody's hero. I'm still not interested in that. I love to be a good host and let people be the hero of their own stories. And I know that I want to be the hero of my story in the way of like believing that um, mostly in my life, there have been two sets of footprints, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
that God was close, but you have to do a lot of hard work right. <laughs> to get through it. And yeah. I respect that. I respect people who keep walking with two sets of footprints. Mm, that's so good. I mean, uh, as you're saying that, I'm reminded of the the man by the pool of Bethesda, right? John chapter five, where Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, do you want to be healed? You know, for 38 years, he's been just kind of sitting there as an invalid and and honestly expecting someone to do something for him. But what you're saying right there is there's a partnership here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, God's the one that will heal us. He will restore us yet. He's inviting us into uh, actively participating in that process. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And so the women came in and our mantra was love heals. Wow. And it took me about another three or four years to realize um, that the gift I had in my life um even though we had, we were, we grew up poor, you know, I went to college, I was ordained, I had an income, I had gotten married when I was 24 and I'm celebrating my 32nd anniversary today. Wow, mm-hmm. man, that's amazing. Well, I don't know if it's amazing. It's just luck probably. Yeah. Um, I'm teasing. I'm so grateful. I can't even talk about it. So the, um, the, the idea was, if we are, what I had was some access to economics that could get me through college, that could get me a safe place to live. And the violence and vulnerability of poverty was part of the reason the women were just staying in these abusive and horrific and addictive cycles. Yeah. So that's when we said, you know what, what if, and I love my, one of my big healing places is a bathtub. I can, I can soak <laughs> in a bath with essential oils, longer than anybody I know. And it's a place of meditation. It's a place of creativity. It's safe. It's always been that. So we started making bath and body care products, you know, for bodies that have been broken. And we put love heals on every product. And the idea is that, uh, you know, love heals every body. And so if we were going to talk about loving these women, we had to be concerned about their economic well-being so they could be safe. And we just started making it and selling it to our friends. And um, from there, it just, you know, it's a long story of how it took off and became global. Wow. Hey, friends, Davey here. At this point, we've seen hundreds of people find healing from their trauma, reset their faith foundations, and move through their valley with a renewed sense of purpose, all because of our pain to purpose course. This is exactly what our hope and prayer for this course has been all along. We want as many people as possible to keep finding healing like this. So for the month of December, we want to give our Nothing Is Wasted podcast listeners a gift. That's right. That's you. Are you ready for this? We're knocking $50 off the price of the course. This 11-part video course is designed to walk you step-by-step through and out of your valley and into a life of renewed purpose and impact. You can take this course at your own pace online, in one of our Nothing Is Wasted community groups, or with the help of one of our certified guides. This could be a great Christmas gift for a friend or a loved one who's going through a particularly difficult time this holiday season. If you're interested in taking advantage of this offer of $50 off, text NIWGIFT to 66866. Again, that's N-I-W-GIFT, N-I-W like nothing is wasted, GIFT, N-I-W-GIFT to the number 66866. So pause this episode right now, text the number, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. 
Well, I, I definitely want to get into some of those um, some of those facets of that story and how things begin to build and stuff. But I'm really I'm stuck on this thing that you said a little bit ago about forgiveness because, Becca, we have community groups online um, through our ministry, and one of them is a community group for women who have survived sexual abuse or sexual assault. Another one is for women who are currently caught up in a um, situation of domestic violence. Those two groups in particular, as I was talking with their leaders the other day, the common thing that both of those leaders said to me that these women are struggling with is how to forgive. Can you, can you talk through that a little bit as, I mean, this is a, this is a not just difficult, but nearly impossible thing to forgive when, when there's something that is done to you like this, how, how did you walk through that personally? Uh, what were some of the truths that really stuck out to you to help you or empowered you to walk in forgiveness? Well, the first was the freedom. One of the things you said at the beginning that I think people think is like that you said something like, how did you overcome it? And I don't think you overcome it. I mean, I think it's part of your journey forever. And it's really a relief to think I don't have to overcome this. Hmm. I can make changes because, you know, the reason people change is it's more painful to stay the same. So you're willing to change. So for me, it's like, I am so willing to change and I may not get over it. I may get under it. I get through it. I get around it, but it is a part of my life. And I think it was probably, I don't know how long ago it was when I realized it was like, one of my friends who had lost um, a limb, nobody's asking that person to grow it back or when are you going to get over that? You know, it's like, you're going to adapt. Yeah. And for somebody, um, many the people, some of the people in, in the communities that you're talking about and the women I serve and myself is like, I lost my childhood. That's not coming back. Yeah. That's, I mean, I did not have the innocence of childhood and all of what that means. And so I don't have that limb ever. I will never have that. But I have other things that I have found that are, while you would not ask for them, they're amazing gifts. And that includes the capacity for forgiveness and compassion. Mm. And we all have it. I mean, I've seen women who have been imprisoned, people have addicted them, prostituted them, um, beat them, raped them, whatever but you can't kill that hope or that, um, that spark of saying, you know, I have a heart. And so I have this ability to find that place. So for me, it was the way the path looked probably. Um, I'm not, these are, these are big things I'm going to say, but, and it took me a long time to kind of live into them. But one of them was establishing some really, simple, good daily rituals to keep me peaceful and calm. Like I said, a bathtub, a walk, knitting, things that are, you know, very practical things that are tactile things that, um, you know, if I had to just be in counseling or in meetings all day, it would make me crazy. (laughs) I have to be active and get my mind off stuff. That's one thing. The second thing is to really acknowledge the mercy I've known too. People have shown me a lot of mercy. I made some mistakes and I know some folks who really um, needed to have some mercy shown to them. And I I could recognize it because I needed it in my own life. And then the third thing was to honestly um, remember the person that did that stuff to you probably went through some horrific stuff too. And I'm not saying you don't hold people accountable. I do not think you forget. 
but I think um, when you can really humanize the person and think what happened to them when they were a kid for this to happen, for them to think they could do that to another child. And I don't think I was so special. I was the only one he did that to. The practical part of what I did is um, after my husband and I had our first child and right after I'd opened the first house and I realized, you know, I'm still carrying around this burden. I really needed to get rid of it. I had a beautiful church community, good therapist. I didn't do that on my own, but by myself, I called him um, and spoke to he and his wife and set up a meeting and I went to their house. They were still in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just walked in and I said, I have a story I need to tell you. And they both, as you can imagine, just looked sick. Mm. And I said, "Um, I want to tell you a story of what happened to me a long time ago. And I started telling the story and the wife, you know, got up and ran out of the room and felt sick. And I just waited. And the very first question the guy asked me was, who have you told? And I was like, you know what? It's not my secret. I can tell anybody I want. That is what turns something into good news is when you can share it in a way that could be healing for people. And I said, I'm done carrying it around like this, you know, precious pearl. It's not, it's, it's just something you did to me that you need to carry and your family needs to do healing work on. Anyway, I told the whole story and, um, he admitted about probably 80% of it. He questioned some of the things that I was remembering, but anyway, it was, I walked out of there and I felt like I'd probably played a football game or something oh, exhausting. Man, I can imagine. But it, but it, there's some things that happen, whether it's people write letters and they burn them, whether whatever it is that looks like that there's some release in some way to practically make some moments to um, feel freedom. Wow. I just, I mean, I can't imagine sitting in that room and uh, having the courage uh, to do what you do. There had to have been, you know, supernatural empowerment to that. Uh, absolutely. Wow. Well, I've been ordained forever. And I, I mean, I think I've been ordained 30 years and I can tell you the number of times and like probably on maybe two hands, how many times I've ever worn a collar, a clerical collar. <laughs> and I wore one into that room. So that can kind of tells you, it was like, I was, you know, bracing myself. For yeah. Wow. Wow. But I want him to remember I was speaking to him as somebody that was ordained and felt anointed and protected and all of those things. Yeah. And I knew I was walking in there with prayers of a lot of um, my family and a couple friends. Mm, man, I was having a conversation with a, a pastor the other day and, uh, you know, they were asking uh, about, about, they were asking about my story and how did, you know, how do I, how did I walk through this? And I, I just told them, and this is kind of what I've told everybody. And, and I'm reminded of it. And as you're recalling this moment for you is that God gives you the grace that you need for that moment. You know, it's like, you can't call up future grace necessarily. He comes in right at that moment and gives you the empowerment and the grace that you need for that moment. And, uh, and how cool is that just as a testimony and an encouragement to all of us that, if forgiveness is the thing that, that is needed for freedom for you, God's going to grace you with the ability to do that. You just, again, step into that partnership, step into that invitation. Wow, man. Um, one of the things you mentioned a, a little bit ago was this idea of now you're able to walk with these women uh, judgment-free. And I think 
you know, as I have conversations with people in the church, there's certain pockets of society that we still see a lot of judgment coming from the church. And, uh, and, 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 and obviously I think it's because of a lack of, you know, empathy or understanding or grace or mercy, whatever we call it. But one of those is, you know, prostitution. But I'm sure what you've experienced as you're working with some of these women, there's a direct correlation between the prostitution that these women um, now enter into and sexual abuse that they've experienced. Can you kind of talk about that and and how you're helping women to um, kind of walk through that journey? Absolutely. I mean, when we first started, um, people were calling 14 year old girls on the streets, prostitutes, you know, now Mm. that's different. That's not how, that's not the language in the churches kind of come along with the change of that language. And um, I believe that our community that's grown into a national community has been a part of helping to change that. We're one small part of that, but now we understand that that's human trafficking. That, um, you know, if there's a 16 year old girl selling herself for drugs on the streets and people say that's a choice, you've got to ask yourself, what were her options where that's the choice? And once you start trying to understand what those options are, it's easy. It's easy to get to compassion. And I do think the churches sometimes and church communities sometimes are pretty slow in adapting into that compassionate, not for individuals, but for groups. It's almost like, you know, you just lump people into groups and that's when you get in trouble, I think. And so I try to not do that to say this group is this way whenever you start that way, it's like, you know, you're already in trouble. So, you know, I I mean, I knew from the beginning, I mean, what in the world happened to you is the question to bring you out to these streets. Tell me your story. And then once you hear a story, then it's like, oh my gosh, we, you know, the whole world could have done better by you and you could have done better by you and your family could have done better by you and the church could have done better by you. All of it, you know, But one of the things that's newer for me has been the link between refugees and human trafficking Mm. and how violated and violent it is for so many women in that are refugees and asylum seekers camps. There was, we started a a justice social enterprise in one of the camps in Greece of women who had come out of the war in Syria. And not only were the stories unbelievable, but, um, 12,000 young women, they estimated had been missing from the camps in Greece. Mm. And it's because traffickers wait out there and they prey again on not in P-R-E-Y mm. on vulnerable kids and all kinds of um, people who have no country, no documentation, no money, nothing. And that's what I think the next step for church communities in the United States is, is to say, not only do we now have compassion for women born in the U.S. who have hit the streets, but where, how do we find compassion for people who are refugees, who have no country and no place because they are so vulnerable to trafficking. Um, And that's, that's what I'm trying to link for people now. Wow. It's the holiday season, which for many of us can be the hardest time of the year. Whether you've lost a loved one 
or you've gone through a betrayal or your life doesn't look how you thought it would this year, or maybe you're just weary from the toll that 2020 has taken on us. Wherever you find yourself as we head into the holidays, we want to provide you with as many helpful resources as we can. We're able to do this because of the support of our generous Nothing Is Wasted donors. Your donations go to support our podcast, our Pain to Purpose course, our community groups, coaching scholarships, the ministry, and the healing of thousands of lives. To give back to our donors, we created our Nothing Is Wasted partner program. When you make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation to our monthly partner program of $20 a month or more, you can access resource-driven content that goes above and beyond the normal conversations on our podcast. As a donor, you can access monthly mini bonus episodes with past guests, commentaries about episodes, bonus teachings, live Q&As, have first access to Nothing Is Wasted announcements, discounts to Nothing Is Wasted coaching, and other bonus content we release periodically. As you give to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, let us give back to you. To find out more information about this program, sign up for it, or to start a seven-day free trial head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now back to our interview. Speak to some of the other quote-unquote healers that are out there listening to this, the folks that are working with people in trauma um, who are being a shelter as you ha- you guys have begun to do that and in shelter sometimes meaning physically sometimes I mean just you know emotionally how you know in trauma there because of what you experience you begin to have an orientation of the world that it is now unsafe and so things you know begin to trigger you or you know some of the language that we use with that how do you help them feel safe again and then how do you, how do you help some of these women that you're working with, um, begin to kind of gain a, a right orientation, so to speak, so that they know when they're unsafe and when they are actually in a safe space to be able to open up again. You have such good questions. Be- <laughs> uh, we, we work with people with, in trauma all the time, you know? And so we're just trying, we kind of try to get to the bottom of this of going, okay, what is this? What does this look like? How do we actually walk through this in wholeness or get to a place of wholeness again? You know, well, my, my right now, I mean, we're in the still in the middle of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Which just, it just uncovers all these issues that have, we try to bury in shallow graves that are just rising. And mm-hmm. you're talking about people who are traumatized anyway. So, I mean, even for a lot of the women I serve, things like wearing a mask is traumatizing because they've been gagged. Wow. And so you have to keep refining. And I just think it's stressful for a lot of leaders right now who are doing this healing work. So my message is a a pandemic is no time to quit. Mm. It's time for me at least to trust work more than inspiration to keep, just keep going and know that, um, the inspiration will come if I keep doing the work, but if I quit, then, um, you know, I won't see it. And so I'm, I'm staying in, I'm staying with it. And I, and I just, I have this beautiful feeling of how I had this just the other day I was thinking about, you know, people that do revivals, they have to plan those revivals Mm -hmm. and they have to set up the tent and they have to get the benches out, set the whole stage and know that, 
if they prepare like that, the spirit's coming in and there's going to be a revival Mm -hmm. or in the Hebrew text, you know, they declare the year of Jubilee. Mm -hmm. It didn't just happen. And then they fell into it. And so I feel like this is a time for a lot of leaders of congregations, of communities. We're setting the tent and we're getting the benches out and we're, you know, we're doing all the work and we're going to see revival and, just believe that if we do the work, it's coming. Yeah. How I make women feel like they can trust and are feel safe in the communities that I serve. Um, I'm a big believer in when you said sometimes shelter is a place and sometimes it's emotional support. I'm a big believer for women who are coming off the streets and out of prison. It's actually a place mm. that um, you start with a housing first model that to find a sanctuary is an actual home where you put your head down in your own bed and it's safe and it's long-term. We have about 430 beds now around the country, which is unbelievable to me Wow! in the, in the national network. And it's because, you know, in addition to being very practical, like it's actually a bed yeah. <laughs> that it's really long-term that women that I work with know that I'm with them forever, that yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not backing out. And so, you know, it's a long program. It's a long journey. You know, I just had somebody on Instagram, on my Instagram story today, um, write, um, thank you so much. 10 years ago, I came into your community. I couldn't stay clean, but you offered me a referral to another state and I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to thank you. And I was like, God, what? Hardly, I kind of remember her. Kind of, but I love that it's like, you know, if you stay long enough, you see the miracles. Yeah. That's a, that's such a good point, Becca, that, you know, first of all, the fact that in order to help people uh, feel safe, you've got to actually put them in a place of safety, you know, physically, you've got to meet that physical need because there's no way that emotionally or spiritually, they're going to be open to any other reorientation unless they first just physically and practically feel safe. And that might take some time. And often people jump off the train before they get to see uh, the fruit of that work. Because in America, we love the quick fix, right? We love the, okay, all right, this should work now. You know, let's just go, go, go. And, uh, and that's not, that's not the work um, in, in this, in this, uh, in this kind of a healing context. That's for sure. Um, Question. I'd love to hear some, I mean, you just kind of started to dabble a little bit in some of the, the story of, of a, you know, one of the women you worked with, or you just heard from, are there any stories that really stand out to you? I know all the stories are amazing of the women that you're serving. Um, but there are any that just kind of stand out to you as like, wow, this is okay. This is why we do what we do. Uh, and obviously, you know, keeping everybody anonymous, but is there, are there any of those stories that you're like, man, this is an awesome story. I've got to share this with you. Well, the beautiful thing is we don't have to keep stories anonymous. I mean, I have a thousand stories. I've written, I don't know, nine books. (laughs) And there's probably stories in all those books. And it's because part of what we want to do is continue to share the good news about how love heals. And so women see this as their ministry. They get through the program. They are part of the Thistle Farms team. It's their full-time work. Their story is an asset and a value. 
and they go out and talk about it. Mm. And it's not a secret, it's public. And it's, um, you know, not, that's not for everybody. For some people, telling that story would be very traumatizing. For other people, it's part of what keeps them clean and healthy. And they are like, I want to be a light in this world. And it's why, you know, our, our signature product is a candle and we light the way for the next woman coming off the streets. We keep telling the story. We keep lighting the candle and more and more women can come home. We have something like a hundred women on the waiting list right now. So the story I was thinking when you were talking about it is the story of Doris and, you know, so many of the women who come through the program, um, they may come because of, um, broken families, uh, their moms were their first traffickers selling them for drugs. Um, it was very violent at home and they were in foster care and it was abusive, runaways, all of that. Doris has been with the community probably, I don't know, 15 years. And she came from a little town in Tennessee and her story was that her father was shot in front of her and actually um, fell on her. He died on her. She was in the room and, um, you know, wow. I think it was within a few years, you know, she was smoking pot. She was not being able to function in school and started on a really violent, bad journey on the streets. And um, she came to us and she was this hopeful, amazing person, but she was also very fearful. You talked about fear. I mean, I can remember like she didn't like, to be in a room, um, like in her bedroom at the house, she couldn't be near a door. She couldn't be near a window. And that's really hard if you're not in a door or window and you're in a small bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to do a lot of work. So anyway, she began telling her story all over the country and she was helping me establish some communities. We went down to Florida and, um, she had never seen the ocean. And I was like, Doris, we're running out to the ocean. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> and she was really scared. She was scared of it. And I was like, Doris, I promise you, sharks don't climb up on the sand and bite your ankles. Nothing bad is going to happen. I got you. So the very um, the mo first morning we got there, I got to hold her hand as she walked out on the sand. And she stepped her toes into the ocean for the first time. And she felt the tide. And she did not, had never felt the tide. And she just lifted her arms in her beautiful Doris style. And she's a singer, a praise gospel singer. And she just said, has this been doing this my whole life? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, this beautiful moment for me as a human being, as a friend, as a pastor of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the tide's been going out for as long as the moon's been spinning around the earth. And, you know, it's, probably the only thing older and stronger than that pull is love. Uh -huh. Sometimes it takes a whole community to get somebody to the shore to feel that kind of powerful love. And so it was about two years after that, I got invited to go on an 11 day cruise into the Caribbean. And we were setting up our Thistle Farms bath and body care products on this ship, this big ship. We were docking on different islands and in the morning we would have these talks before people docked and it was about women's justice programs mm -hmm. and people would go visit places on the island that had something to do with ministry and healing for women. Anyway, I was like, Doris, you have to go. 
somebody's never seen the ocean, barely touched it. We're going out to the sea. And she was like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can. I'm like, you totally can do this. And we got out on this boat, this huge ship. And the first night, it was like God called up this big storm. And it was the kind of storm that rocked the ship so much that even the people that were staff members had those things that are taped to your neck, you know, to make Mm. you not seasick. Yeah. Those little circle things. And the next morning, she was scheduled to get up and speak first. She was one of the first speakers that we had on our little program. And I was like, she is going to lose her mind. She's going to get up here. She's going to be throwing up, scared, crazy. And she walks onto the stage and it's really swaying. The boat is still swaying. And she starts getting everybody to sway with the boat and clap. And she sings this praise song to Jesus like I have never heard. As grounded as I've ever heard her. And I was like, so grateful that I got to witness her preach. There's probably 700 people in that one room on this big theater on the ship and sing praise and glory um, for all the love she has felt and all the healing she's known. And, and that's the story that came to my mind when you say it, when you go from barely dipping your toes in the water to rocking in a storm and singing praise. Wow. Even the imagery of that, you know, the, just the metaphor of that healing journey right there. Um, wow. That's powerful. I, you know, with a few minutes that we have left, I'd love to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk a little more about Thistle Farms and specifically like the, the philosophy around it. Like I love the idea that you guys have started a mission that has a business to it, that has a business component to it. Whereas, you know, a lot of, you see a lot of corporate America and, you know, businesses that are adopting a mission, which is great. It has its place as well, but I, uh, it's it's somewhat unconventional to you know have a not for profit that then like has a business component or aspect to it. Um, what are the things that you guys do in regards to? You've referenced a few of your products that you guys sell. What was the inspiration or philosophy behind that specifically? Kind of beginning or maybe the evolution of how why you set up Thistle Farms like that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. That's a great question too. And it's easy. It's because again, we wanted to make things that were about healing the body. And that means individual bodies. It means healing for the person making it, healing for the person that receives it and healing for our community body, our corporal body, Mm. you know, that we can make our community safer and more healing. I'm a big believer that when you rape a woman, you kill a village. And when you heal a woman, you heal a village. Mm. So everything we did had to be with the mindset that it was going to be healing all the way down the market chain from the producer to the consumer. And it was going to be essential natural oils. The very first um, blend of oils we made came from Exodus 30 when Moses goes on the mountaintop and God says, what you need is healing oil. Mm. And that seemed like a really good place to start for me. What I didn't realize is how good a margins they have. So it was a great thing to buy and they have a long shelf life. So it was a good thing to make. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I kind of backed into that in some ways, but it was always, um, you know, always about really reminding both the women that were making it and the people that were receiving it 
that love is healing and it's all through creation. And there's people all over the world that want to share in that hope of healing and they'll buy these products. And it's been this unbelievable journey for all of us. And so now there's, we have 30, 32 global partners um, of, you know, artisan women in different countries um, that make products that we sell directly to people from the websites. You can shop all over the world from one website and then you've got, and you can trust and know that it's all about believing how love heals. And especially through this, you know, revolutionary, wonderful crafting Mm. way of being it's, um, you know, we, we were considered an essential worker during the pandemic, which was unbelievable to me that we could continue to make hand sanitizer and soaps and all of um, the head to toe body washes and the body bombs. You could still make all those products throughout the pandemic. So that we were grateful for that. We also in Nashville, Tennessee, um, where we're, our headquarters are located, we have a cafe and we, um, we've been, you know, open and shut. That's been open and shut twice during 2020, but it's an amazing, um, menu and there's 15 women that work there and baristas and chefs and all kinds of stuff. And then, um, we have, like I said, this national network where we do education and training days. If there's somebody that is listening to this podcast and they really want to dive deep and think about how can they you know, replicate this model in their community or adapt what they're doing um, with some of the principles that we have. They can come and do a whole education training day. We have some on Zoom and some in person that are very small groups. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, last thing is, as we kind of, you know, sign off, what, what would you say to somebody who, you know, are one of the things we really try to help people with is how to move from pain to purpose, you know, the things that happen to us in life or maybe the, the mistakes that we make that cause pain in our life, uh, God wants to turn that around into a great purpose. Those are actually the building blocks, I think, for the raw material, the raw redemptive, the, the raw material for the redemptive purposes that God has for our life if we lean into it, just like we talked at the beginning of this, if we choose to partner with Him in uh, helping other people in it. So if someone's listening to this and they're saying, man, I have a story and I want to help someone out of my story. I want to I want to build something like what Becca Stevens has, has built with Thistle Farms out of my own pain. Where would you tell them to start? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do. I would always say to people, run to community. Don't walk. Mm-hmm. Run to a safe place with people who are going to be with you and support you on that. I mean, you know, never in the gospel are people just sent out all by themselves. People go out two by two in groups. You know, it's like a, it's a way to navigate the waters of discernment while it's still your journey to do it with a community is important. I think, I think it's why we start churches. It's like, we got to do this work together. The other thing is I'm happy for anybody. I mean, the easiest way to get me is DM me on Instagram. If you have a specific question or something you're really looking for, I'm Becca Stevens on Instagram. Happy to start conversations with individuals who are serious about that. Go to the website at Thistle Farms and you can look on there. And I will say the last thing that I think has been the bomb of Gilead for me during the season has been the woods 
the outdoors and that's not safe for everybody, but for some people you can breathe out there. Yeah. Um, there is some fresh air. There's a reason that, you know, for the whole journey of faith, people have gone to the woods. The trees can take your grief. It's a place to both wrestle angels and demons and to find some grounding. And I just think you can't overestimate a good walk in the woods. Wow. That's my, those are just a few of my recommendations. That's great. That's great. Well, I would encourage the listener, this is coming out right before Christmas time. So I'd encourage you guys to jump on the website for Thistle Farms, purchase some of these products for yourself, for friends, uh, family members. Um, and uh, Becca, I just thank you so, so much for giving us time and sharing your heart and your story and all the work that you're doing. It's amazing. So thank you. You are welcome. And thank you so much. I'm grateful for the chance to tell the story. And I do believe like you prayed right before we started that maybe we did all this and one person heard it and it was a bomb for them for a bit. And so God bless everybody. That was an incredible interview with Becca Stevens, mm-hmm. Davey. I love her wisdom. I love her experience. And um, the yeah, the wisdom that she has specifically for women who have walked through some really difficult things. I actually, yeah. with that in mind, I want to share the domestic violence hotline, which Kevin That's and I idea. have used yeah. on more than one occasion. It is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. This is a great hotline for um anyone who is being abused, but also family members who suspect abuse, uh, maybe friends who just need like help creating a plan to know how to support someone who's being abused. And all the phone calls are private um, and they do a good job of kind of covering tracks in case you feel afraid to make that phone call. Yeah, that's good. There's something too that we'll mention in each one of these episodes, but we also have a community group for women who are experiencing domestic violence. And it's a very confidential one. Um, It's very private. And so you actually have to request, you have to request to be a part of it. And then we take take women through a vetting process just to make sure that they are qualified to be a part of it. But it is one of our groups that is, um, uh, I I, want to say from a, from a, it's, it's thriving from a community standpoint in the sense that these women are finding uh, true healing. They're finding a lot of support and encouragement from our guides there. So that's definitely something to check out. Nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. Um, before we talk a little bit more about this episode and before we log off, I would love for us to hear from our resident coach for this this series, and that's Jill Monaco. So let's hear from Jill on her thoughts about this particular episode. What a beautiful testimony of God's goodness and redemption by Becca Stevens. I want to highlight a few things that I think are really important if you are someone that has gone through this type of abuse or if you love someone who has. One of the first things Becca said was, what happened to her wasn't okay with a loving God. And that is so difficult for people that have gone through abuse. But what I really love about her story is that she showed you, if this is you, your story, she showed you that it's not impossible to bridge that gap and to see God for who He really is. 
She also did a great job at explaining forgiveness. She said that forgiveness is a journey, not an event. And I think it was Davy who said that God invites us to partner with Him in our process. And so there's two things I want to highlight here. But first, that you are on a journey. It is a process of forgiveness. And you're not doing it alone. You're on that journey with God together as you link arms with God. And partnership looks like telling you how to think, how to feel, how to respond. And those are beautiful things that can happen when you already know He's loving God because you see through a filter that is through His filter. And that filter brings incredible healing. Forgiveness is often something I talk about when I'm coaching clients, and forgiveness being a process is one thing, and it's like taking off layers. You may forgive them for what they did, and that's one layer. You can also forgive them for how they made you feel. You can also forgive them for the lasting consequences in your life. Because oftentimes, you've got more things that have happened because of that abuse or because of that hard thing that happened. And it's kind of like if you—I tell people, it's like when you are in the hospital because you broke your leg, but you broke your leg because somebody hit you with their car. Now have a cast or surgery or physical therapy. You have consequences to that injury that you are going to have to live with or work out. It's the same thing with forgiveness. But one thing that I want to touch on that is really important in this um, process of forgiveness is the last thing that I often encourage my clients to do, and that is to bless the person who hurt you. I know that can feel really difficult when they've done something so serious, and you may be saying, Jill, but you don't know what I went through. You're right. I don't know what you went through, but I do know the power of forgiveness and blessing someone is a big piece of that. See, if someone stole money from you and you bless them to be financially blessed, then the enemy has lost all its power, not only over you, but over them. He's lost the power that he is trying to create constant divide and division because having unforgiveness in your heart is keeping you from the great things that God has for you. I often tell folks it's not worth it. Holding unforgiveness against them is not worth you giving up your destiny of where God wants to take you. And I think Becca's story is a perfect example of this. Because she was able to forgive, she now has created Thistle Farms and talks about how love heals and blessing is a part of that. When we truly bless people, we are loving them like Jesus. If we can ask God for his filter on the situation, God, how do you want me to bless that person? You might ask God, God, how do you see this situation that happened to me? God, how are you using that situation for my good and your glory? Ask God to see things from his perspective. One of the other things that Becca did was confront her abuser. And I did that as well over the phone. But I want to highlight that not everybody needs to confront their abuser like that in order to get healing. Sometimes you can't um, confront them. They may not be alive or it doesn't feel safe to you. But I do want to say that most people who have abused children continue to abuse. And so if that is something that happened to you, 
I would encourage you, as I encourage my clients, to do the process of reporting them to the authorities. And the reason that I say this, I'll give you a quote from Shannon Thomas, who is a counselor. She's written a book on healing from hidden abuse. In it, she says, psychologically abusive people can only maintain normalcy for short spurts of time. Being authentically caring, decent person isn't baseline for them. They must fake the behaviors that would show positive character qualities. These fraudulent acts of kindness have brief shelf lives before they expire and the abusers return to their normal state of affairs. So I hope just highlighting that for you helps you understand that if you've been physically abused, there's been more that's happened. And part of that healing process could be reporting them to the authorities because you don't want this to happen to somebody else because they often don't stop. As I was praying for what to say at the end of this episode, I was asking God for a scripture that would encourage those of you that have been abused. And he led me to a verse in 1 Peter. If you go to chapter 5, verse 10, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself do four things. Are you ready? Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will restore you. He will restore all that was lost because of what happened. He will confirm to you your identity in Christ and that you can see things from his perspective. He will strengthen you. He will strengthen you in your innermost being. You will go from glory to glory. You will see yourself gain strength and do eventually the last thing, establish you, just like he did with Becca. He established her to be a voice and a light in the darkness and to be one of those that actually helps heal those who have been hurt. I'll conclude with this. Becca said, if you stay long enough, you see the miracles. So hang in there, my friends. You got this. Thanks, Jill, for that insight. Yeah, it was incredible. One really meaningful way that we can support Thistle Farms and the work that Becca Stevens is doing is buying Christmas gifts from Thistle Farms. That's right. They have incredible products. I was actually on there this morning. They have oils. They have candles. Central she talks oils. about the oils that she uses for her bath. I am a new, firm believer and practitioner of essential oils. <gasps> I am too. We'll have to Christy have a whole other conversation about this All sometime. into them. Oh, yeah. We've been fighting colds, and so we're just like putting essential oils all over ourselves. It's I'm crazy. telling you, they work. They do work. You can support Thistle Farms by purchasing Christmas gifts from them. This is a way to empower women, <laughs> a way to encourage women, a way to support uh, Becca's work as well. Yeah, that's so good. And that's at thistlefarms.org, thistlefarms.org. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream any of his music anywhere that music can be downloaded and streamed. And if this episode has spoken to you, if it's been meaningful in any way, or just the podcast as a whole, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It would be very beneficial, and it also helps more and more people see and hear about the Nothing Is Wasted podcast so they can find hope in their headphones. And uh, don't forget to take the survey. Yep. Nothingiswasted.com slash podcast survey, or if you want it to be as convenient as possible, just text NIW survey to 66866, N-I-W survey to 66866.
You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp. Be sure to come back next week. We have another really powerful episode with Georgia Schaefer. She's part of the Surviving Abuse series that we're doing right now. And I know this is going to be a really meaningful one. So let's go ahead and take a listen to a clip from your conversation with Georgia Schaefer. You hear it all the time and people do get stuck there. I have somebody I'm working with right now. She's been stuck in guilt and shame for three years because people told her, you know, God's against divorce. And so she's carrying all this shame and guilt. But she was in a very uh, abusive in her case. And I don't want to get into that. But it was a situation in her life. Uh, it was a safety issue. Yeah. And so she didn't have a whole lot of choices, but she still carries a lot of guilt and shame. What if I would have done this? What if I would have said this? And so it's helping them understand that there's directionless guilt where we hold on to this guilt and it's just going out there in all different directions. It's not allowing us to focus on what God's called us to do. And, and then there's true guilt where, okay, these are the things I own, and then you go boldly to God's throne of grace. So true guilt, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. 